This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is a Monday. A lot of reaction going on football in the state, at least, really. And that's what we'll start. We will get to the Denver Broncos loss. They are 0-2 with both losses coming at home. We'll talk about that, of course, as well. But we will start with the Rocky Mountain Showdown, which turned out to be much better than anticipated. A much more exciting game and a uh, a distinct possibility, if not probability, for the majority of the game that the Colorado Buffaloes, despite bringing in The Rock and Lil Wayne and Chauncey Billups and Kawhi Leonard and Offset and, uh, Amigos. And, and to take right. Uh, I mean, stars everywhere. present. He's, he's kind of hard to miss. He's hard to miss. Really tall. Yeah. But the game ended up being far more tightly contested. For the Buffaloes, they did end up pulling it out in pretty dramatic fashion as they as win we in double overtime. It would be last week, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. No. Well, I, I didn't. you know, it was last week, and I'm 66, and who can remember who said what at, at what time? But I in can all remember. seriousness, there were two people on our radio station last week who suggested the possibility that CSU could win. One was particularly emphatic about it, and he will join us for our weekly checkup from the neck up on Metal Mondays, as a regular feature now, an hour from now. Yeah. That'll be every week uh, for our 5 to 5.20 segment here on Mile High Sports. Dr. Rick Perea will join us every Monday, and you'll be getting your checkup from the neck up on Metal Mondays at 5 o'clock every single week now. That will be a And he a did point out the nature feature. of rivalry games. He and did. How there was... He did. And he was emphatic in saying, you know, and... We, of course, I speak for myself, not so much for you. I more or less scoffed. Yeah. Scoffed at him. And, uh, of course, as usual, he was right and I was wrong, which usually happens when we disagree on things that uh, he's far more insightful uh, on such psychological matters. And uh, I think to an extent our friend Justin Adams expressed uh, a little bit of trepidation from a CU point of view. He did. Uh, that uh, no one in the CU football program up to the athletic director anticipated any more than we did. Everybody, and I mean everybody, thought CU would win the game by at least 40 points. And they were favored by 23. There was never a moment in the game where you thought that CU would win by anything more than one score. And the fact that it required overtime and for everything to go right. And I I thought CSU had the better of the play in the trenches for at least 58 minutes. And really, the last two minutes in overtime didn't involve much trench warfare. CSU was in a prevent defense, major mistake. Yeah. And uh, in overtime, Jay Norvell, who coached, I thought, a magnificent game. Uh, I don't know any other way to say it. He chickened out in overtime. They had to go for two after the first touchdown. I mean, there was no one in our section who expected them to kick the extra point. Obviously, by that time, they couldn't stop CU. There was no one they could stop CU. They had to go for two. After CU scored, kicked the extra point to make it 35-28. CSU then countered and scored themselves to make it 35-34. At that point, you have to go for two. 
you have no chance to win the game if you don't go for two. I mean, zero chance to win the game. It, it, it I mean, like it. zero, 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 one percent chance to win the game with a point in front of all those zeros. So you had no no chance to win the game. You had to go for two, and you had to go for two the way that CU, obviously, at the end of the game to tie, had to go for two. But they were better up front, the Rams were. They were faster, which shocked me. And they got a much better coaching job from the head coach and his staff on the CSU side, and no less an authority than former buff Joel Klatt, who has seen CU in person this year, uh, doing their opener at TCU with Gus Johnson, and I believe the Nebraska game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's seen them twice in person, showered them with praise. The other night, he made note of how, in his opinion, one-sided the game had been, and he wrote it in the middle of the fourth quarter, and he prefaced it by saying, regardless of how this game turns out. So he allowed for the possibility, if not the probability, that CU would come back and win the game. He said, regardless of how the game comes out, CSU has shown us a lot more than CU has tonight across the board, and nothing could be closer to the truth than that. And I admire Joel Klatt uh, for having uh, the guts <laughs> and the insight to make that point. The game on the whole, yeah, but especially when you look at the defensive side of it, and I think that's intriguing because the, the, the Rams had 300 yards. I think receivers. the Rams just hit another crossing. Right. Uh, Torrey Horton and, and Lewis Brown had all, I mean, all all game were wide open. And, and it was interesting to see that after they had so much success in the first half that CU didn't do anything different. The Rams, again, were they were better on the ground than they were in their opener two weeks prior against Much Washington better. State. Much better. But they didn't dominate. Kobe Johnson averaged 3.6 per. Avery Morrow, yep. 2.7 per. Now, the Rams have their own issue with the running game, and we'll get into that as well. But I was a little surprised that the Buffs didn't try to do a little bit more of man coverage as opposed to sit in that high shell and just let the underneath routes eat them up. I have to say this, and, you know, uh, having been sitting in the stands the other night, See you for better or for worse is treated now like a professional football team. And it wasn't much after, oh, maybe they had played a quarter and a half that fans in our section, CU fans, were booing and catcalling. I mean, it was demanding that Shador Sanders be yanked from the game. And that went on through halftime and well into the third quarter as CU continued to trail 21 to 14, and one of those touchdowns was a defensive touchdown. Right. The best Sanders on the field for the first three quarters was Shiloh, not Shador. Shiloh had the pick six. The CU offense, up until fairly late in the game, had produced one offensive the, They were They were punchless. Even first downs were really a challenge for uh, – for a long time for the bus. You just could not get anything done. And and they outgained the bus for the game. Mm -hmm. And th this is with CU going 98 yards in in, in less than two minutes, yeah. less than a minute, actually, uh, late in the game. 499 yards for Colorado State, 418 for CU. The first possessions for the Buffaloes uh, 
first possession, of course, ended in the interception. Uh, Sanders would get right. better at, immediately. But really, that would be the, the worst he was. And he'd get better as the game went along. But then they had the, uh, at, following that, you had the the fumble uh, return for the, the touchdown there, obviously. So the, then you had that position for there. But then, you know, touchdown for the, the, the buffs. Hey, it's 28-20 punt, inside of punt, two minutes. Punt, yeah. punt, end of half, punt, punt. Missed field goal. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was yes. that was the sequence well, of drives they, for, the, they, for the Buffalo. They had on offense one touchdown and two field goals with under two minutes to go in a game. So Colorado State played it a tremendous defensive game. They lost their nerve. The coaching staff for 58 minutes was magnificent, made great calls on both sides of the ball, had CU completely flummoxed. And in the last two minutes, they went into a, a – a prevent that really didn't prevent anything. And I understand going into a form of a prevent, but you, you can't be as soft as they were with receivers catching passes on the sideline with the option of going out of bounds without any player within 10 or 15 yards. I, I don't know why they were covering the middle of the field uh, as deep as, as they were playing and not guarding the sidelines, but I, I don't think CU even had to use either of its remaining timeouts, either of its two remaining timeouts. Uh, it, during that drive, they didn't have to. They ran out of bounds once or twice. Uh, it, they uh, made the huge plays necessary uh, to score. And, uh, you know, CSU, uh, given enough time, finally beat itself. Uh, Including they with they some lost penalties. their nerve and they lost their discipline. Uh, 17 penalties for 182 yards. You're not going to win a lot of games, 11 especially against with, a better the opponent. Personal foul variety. Eleven, yeah. and I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, you know, and we don't do this. I know you don't do it either. I, I'm not going to rail against college kids, but a cheap shot is a cheap shot, and I've the Blackburn seen, cheap shot was as bad I, as I, I've been watching football for sixty years, and Henry Blackburn, the safety, the senior safety for Colorado State, who grew up in Boulder, who grew up in Boulder, yes. Uh, I mean, they, they've got, in their defensive secondary, they've got experience. Uh, they, they've got a couple of seniors, including Blackburn. Uh, they have a, a graduate uh, playing back there at one of the corner spots. But he delivered as cheap a shot, as late a hit, and as vicious late a hit. Uh, and I, I'm assuming, uh, my first thought was he hit him in the head, and then I saw the replays, and he didn't hit him in the head. Right. But he hit him late. Uh, he hit him with his helmet, and uh, maybe it's broken ribs. I don't know. They haven't been specific about the injury, no. but he will be out for a few weeks. And it's a shame because Colorado's only chance to win at Oregon uh, and or and beat USC, USC here it depends on having Hunter in. As Shiloh Sanders rightly pointed out, it's like losing two well, players. You're losing two players because you're losing your best cornerback. Your best, maybe your best defensive player, almost certainly your best. Defensive I think your best player. defensive player, and with the possible exception of Shador, your best offensive player. Yeah, and and I, I know well that's the price you pay for paying a guy both both ways. But he wasn't injured. No, he was injured uh, on a cheap uh, shot. Uh, yeah, on anything but a cheap shot, and and that's a shame. Uh, and you could you could tell now the Kid hung in there. He did play a little more after he that. He did. Hunter came but, back in. Yeah, but he was out by halftime, and he did not return in the second half, and he was hospitalized. And uh, 
we we wish him well. It's it's a loss anytime we don't get to see a special talent play. And it's a short season and you miss two or three games, that's that's close to a quarter of the season. It is a quarter if it's three games he misses. Yeah. And 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 the two games he'll miss almost certainly are the next two and the other two, boy, if you could just split them somehow, you'd probably get a better ranking than you have right now because Oregon and USC are in the top 10. USC, of course, is ranked fifth. Yep. And Oregon is ranked number 10 uh, this week. Three Pac-12 teams are ranked in the top 10, five in the top 14, and eight in the top 22. Eight of the eight. top 75 percent of the conference. 22 ranked teams. In, in major college football, are out of the Pac-12 in order. USC 5, Oregon 10, uh, Washington 8. I forgot about Washington. I, I forgot about Washington because of all these teams, Washington is the only team that CU doesn't have to play. Number 11, Utah. Number 14, Oregon State. Uh, CU is 19, dropped a spot, as it should have. I think right? that's right. As yep. it should have. Uh, 21st, Washington State. They're still ahead of Washington State and number 22, UCLA. And then Tennessee falls back from 15 to 23 because they got slaughtered in the swamp uh, by Florida, the Bulls did. Uh, And uh, so (laughs) this is, as of right now, when it may change, this is the best football conference in the country. The SEC is struggling. The Big Ten is struggling. Uh, The ACC has been pretty good. Uh, If you count for Notre Dame's basketball affiliation with the ACC. The ACC is the only conference other than the SEC with as many as six schools or as many as five in the top 25. It is uh, obviously going to be a brutal finish uh, for for the season when you talk about the schedule and if there is any significant loss beyond even the expectation with uh, Travis Hunter, that's going to make it more problematic. And uh, look, the, the the plan for the Rams was to go out and hit and intimidate. I remember that Mohamed Kamara uh, got ejected from the game late in the game for targeting after a after he had been poked in the eye by Shador not, earlier in the game. Well, but there, there's a lot of footage of a few things of going back and forth. Of yeah. uh, it, it was but rough. Shador did poke him in the eye. Uh, he did, and and Kamara then roughed way late again, came up late high, head high, penalty. and yeah. got ejected, and yeah. and a, a penalty. And sure one to, one could argue for CSU put them in a very precarious spot yeah. of losing the game. Yeah, well, the they, game was they, still, they, you know, it, still still technically in doubt. It was still in I, doubt. That was there, the first was possession no way, of overtime. No way CSU could have stopped. But on the Blackburn hit, it was interesting. Jane Norvell today was, talked about Colorado. it on his coach's show and said he called it a bang-bang play, which is not true. That's not true. And said, quote, I reviewed the play. It's a play that happens sometimes. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And uh, he did follow up to say that's certainly not something we teach a coach, but it happens in football sometimes. It doesn't. No, it was it doesn't. a cheap play. That, that, that's as cheap as shot. It was a way late hit. The play was covered. The pass was incomplete. You're not talking about three guys going up for the ball and one guy toppled to the ground and hurt himself. Uh, it, this it is The play is over. The pass is five or six yards out of bounds. Yeah, and on the ground already. It's, it's on the ground. It's incomplete. And the coverage on the play was excellent. Yes, it was. Then he comes in out of nowhere and just 
levels in. If there obviously intentional, isn't I, you know there, I, there should be a suspension. Yeah, the the for at least two games. College football world needs to look at that and say that they need to either expand the targeting rule, so that's an immediate ejection. He should have been ejected. He should have been ejected. And the funny thing was, it, where I was at up in the press box, there were both you know from the media as well as as members from both the Rams and the and the Buffalo's athletic department. And sort of the universal vibe there from both was Blackburn will get ejected yeah. from the game. Yeah. Uh, even, I was shocked. Even the athletic folks in the Rams fully expected. That and wasn't. it didn't. And everyone just sort of stared at each other like, what? Well, it, the only <laughs> like, means how could you, by. How could you possibly uh, not? Uh, I, you know, I don't I guess I don't have the rule book yeah. in front of me. Well, but I, I'm sorry, but there are means for ejection that go beyond targeting. Right. You can still be ejected that, and, from a and game. And to be fair, that is a. Uh, for unsportsmanlike conduct, egregious And I will pick on him a little bit. That Pac-12 officiating group had a terrible night. No, they were. At one point, they didn't understand what to do with a kickoff that went out of bounds. They had difficulty with ball placement all the time. It was a bad night for the officials. They didn't know it. They lost control of that game on multiple occasions. And, you know, had had Blackburn immediately been tossed, perhaps a lot of that doesn't happen. A lot of that. Yeah, I do. And the Shador poking in the eye was his response to that that hit and uh, you know maybe you should have found blackburn and poked him yeah <laughs> and then, well there was also some gamesmanship and camaro was part of it uh it, the yeah. multiple times during the game well Cam- it, 90 minutes before the game yeah. i'm always watching when i go to a cu game now i'm watching the logo yeah. at midfield to see who occupies it and i got there uh, well in advance of the game sitting down staring at midfield and sure enough much pushing and shoving and uh, talking obviously we couldn't hear exactly what was said um you know the, the only guy in sports these days who seems to be mike for every word he says on the field is geno smith the quarterback <laughs> of the seattle seahawks we gotta talk about that later but the uh the, but, the situation with camara was interesting but, yeah, there was some gamesmanship yeah. there because camara actually went down with injuries four previous times in the game yeah. before becoming ejected. Right. Right. Each of those times, the Buffs were in no-huddle offenses and moving right. the ball very effectively. And the crowd was reacting. And uh, Camara they, went down, going on. would sit out for one play, then stop come and come back. Right. Later in the game, in the fourth quarter, one of the safeties for the Rams did the same thing, a play at the sideline, just kind of sat down for a minute. And he seemed confused by it because... They told him he had to leave for a play, and he didn't yeah. understand because he went he back. Didn't understand because you know, he was fine. Everything held up, and the, the clock stopped, and then he went back and ran to his the positions. Wrong, and the refs were like, "He was the wrong uh, guy to fake it, right?" Because he he's not a very good actor. He walked off the field more or less under his own oh, yeah. power with barely a sign of a. Oh limp. no, he more or less he's jogged got, because he realized he had to get off the to, field. Right? Yeah, he, he's got to learn. So to that act was some field. gamesmanship there that the uh, to slow down the Buffalo's attack. The Rams were. Maybe exaggerating some injuries at a certain case because it happened with some some consistency there, and that's the kind of thing you'll have to deal with as well going forward if you're Colorado because they're going to want to slow down your pace. Right. This is well, a fast team. Yeah, maybe <laughs> some teams will, and some teams will be well, fine with that. And some pace. teams like Oregon, Oregon and USC might care. be fine. Yeah, they won't care so with, much with with playing fast. And uh, you know, CU has uh, some of the slowest linebackers in college football who can't cover you or me. And their offensive line is vulnerable. They don't block for the run at all. Any yardage made by running backs, they make on their own. And the pass protection is abysmal. It just is, uh, is lot, bad. Now, does Shadour hold the ball yeah. longer than he should at times? Yes. 
but in spite of having little to no protection, he went 38 for 47 again. With four touchdowns. With four touchdown passes. 348 yards and one pick this time, so it wasn't as perfect a game as the TCU game was for him, but uh, for the second time in three games, 38 for 47 in a win. Slow start, fast finish for Shadur Sanders. Quite the opposite for Russell Wilson in the Denver Broncos loss on Sunday. I will talk about that. You'll hear a little bit from Wilson next on My Life Sports. Without love, pain, I can't get enough pain. Like it rough, cause I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Good pick by Dan The Broncos start 0 2. Anybody, anybody who had the Denver Broncos making the playoffs this year that had them starting 0-2 is lying. I don't know what else to tell you. Because you can't go through the schedule game by game and say that that was going to be, that's a playoff team despite starting 0-2. It wasn't going to happen. For the Bronco Shills, and there are still many of them around town, uh, I guess if they lose as expected at Miami on Sunday. I mean, we talked at about it three Over. It's over. The play chances are over. Is, there is. There is. It doesn't matter how you get to 0-3. If you're 0-3 since 2002, when there became 32 teams in the National Football League, 99 teams have started 0-3. The 2018 Houston Texans are the only one out of 99 to make the playoffs. And had there been 14 teams rather than 12 in the playoffs back in 2013, the Pittsburgh Steelers would have made it. That's it. That's it. (laughs) So officially, one for 99 if you start 0-3. And since 2002, about one in 10 teams starting 0-2 get to the playoffs. The Bengals did it last year, and if they want to make the playoffs, they have to do it again They're one of the few teams that could. But it hadn't happened previous to Cincinnati doing it last year since 2018. Um, Last time I looked at was five years ago. Yeah. So whether it's 0-2 or certainly 0-3, 0-3 you're playing for next year. And, you know, all this tanking talk in professional sports – bad teams sometimes by calculation in the last decade do tank. This team has been so bad for six years now going on seven, eight years in a row out of the playoffs, eight years in a row out of the playoffs. They can't afford to tank, and it doesn't matter. They aren't any good. It shocks me still. Bill Barnwell, who I like, has one flaw, and it's an unending belief in the Denver Broncos and or Sean Payton. Of the eight 0-2 teams, he wrote a column on the eight 0-2 teams today. He had the Broncos as being just behind Cincinnati and the Chargers, among the eight that really could still make the playoffs. I'm saying he has not watched the game. 
He's a good guy. I know he watches a lot of football, and he studies the numbers, but he hasn't been watching very closely. If he thinks the Broncos, out of the 0-2 teams that there are right now in the NFL, quarter of the league, if he thinks the Broncos are just slightly less likely to make the playoffs than the Chargers and the Bengals, he, he's not watching. No. He's not paying attention. No. And no, anybody else who feels that way hasn't been really paying attention either. Um, somebody on the Broncos staff has caught on to the Alex Singleton act because he didn't even play two-thirds of the snaps yesterday. He was benched. But Josie Jewell, who was dreadful, aside from one pass breakup that he probably should have intercepted if he were a better athlete, played 89% of the snaps. And Drew Sanders, a much better player right now than Josie Jewell, played 5% of the snaps. Now, that's on the coordinator, and that's on the head coach. And on offense, the head coach will never take any blame for anything. Uh, Never did in New Orleans and turned off plenty of fans in New Orleans. This was the hire. Because whenever anything went wrong, including Bounty Gate, Sean Payton blamed everybody but himself and continues to do that here in Denver. On offense, where he does have almost complete control over who plays and who doesn't, The speed guys, Brandon Johnson, 45% of the snaps. Guy who caught the Hail Mary at the end. Mm-hmm. Didn't play half the game. Marvin Mims, 24% of the snaps. And Jaleel McLaughlin, remember him? The train uh, camp sensation who that, scored the first touchdown yesterday? Yeah. He played 5% of the snaps. Is he coaching out of the 1950s or 1960s? I mean, by the, speed by the way, you mentioned Brandon Johnson on the Hail Mary. Is the only thing that Remember, matters. that was Effective Johnson's functional speed. That was Johnson's second touchdown yeah, of the day. Absolutely. So, and he could only get out there for 45% of the snaps. You had four it, touchdowns scored. Cortland Sutton scored a goose egg in the first half. No receptions, no yards, and he played almost 90% of the snaps. Four touchdowns scored. Those players, Brandon Johnson with two, Jaleel McLaughlin with one, Marvin Mims with one. Marvin Mims was thought by Peter King of NBC in his Football Morning in America column to have been far and away the special teams player of the week in the National Football League. He had two and he didn't for play. He could have yeah. been offensive player of the week if they had played him. You know, 113 offense. yards on two catches in the first half. Right. They didn't. But you, you bench him in the second him. half. That's, yeah, you, that's you exactly him. what you do. And that's you where, look, him. I get the frustration with the hit and miss style from Russell Wilson, who looked great, and and I think Sandy, this leads. If into it's your... Russell Wilson first half, he's Seattle on his prime. Russell Wilson. And it leads if to it's your Russell point. Wilson in the second half, it's Russell Wilson circa twenty twenty two. Well, let's take a look at some of what that is too. Now, some of it I think leads into your point, and that point is that Russell Wilson at this point probably can't elevate a team by himself. Probably can't pick it up on his shoulders. Now, doesn't mean he's finished. In the first half, some of those passes were beautiful. The one that he threw to Mims, you couldn't have handed it to him in a better spot 40 yards down the field. Uh, the some At the moments, at moments, it's still there, but it's up and down. There were also moments where he missed open guys, where the right. timing was off. Now, some of this... Well, and the head coach said he blew the game by missing Jerry Judy for the 
game time two point conversion, who was wide open according to Peyton and had no business. Peyton couldn't even be bothered to talk about the interference call. He said Wilson threw the wrong guy. So I'm not going to argue about interference. Some of that is interesting, though, because one of the challenges with Wilson is he's, look, he's not tall. And over the course of his career, he's very. Why does he keep he's, fixating on Cortland Sutton, though? I don't get that. Uh, why? Well, he has no rapport with him, but he fixates on him. It's the only guy he ever looks for. Might be the only guy he can see he's tall enough from when he's still in the pocket. The that's one of the challenges because Wilson is smaller and he can't really use the middle part of the field unless he drops back a lot. In a combination in which he's trying to stay in the pocket more and his. Granted, I, I get the Washington has the best front four in football, but oh my goodness, Mike McGlinchey is still looking for Deron Payne's back of his Mike jersey. McGlin- Mike McGlinchey can't pass block, and uh, I talked to the so San I'm Francisco really not sure what Wilson can for years, yeah. for years, and they said Mike McGlinchey can't pass block. They said he can't pass block. That's why they let him go. You don't need tackles to block for the run. You can find. Dozens and dozens and dozens of tackles who can do that. You need, in the modern pro game, tackles who can pass block. He can't do that. Teams don't let tackles who can pass block no, they don't. go. They don't. They don't. They get drafted ever, and they ever, get signed. Ever, 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 You know who else can't play? Ben Powers can't play. Can't play dead. And it was his penalty that put the Broncos in the hole on a play preceding the one in which Wilson fumbled, and according to Sean Payton, uh, if he didn't blow the game on the two-point conversion, he blew the game when he fumbled with a 21-3 lead, which I think is quite a stretch, even for Sean Payton, to be blaming Wilson uh, and for, for shifting the momentum by fumbling uh, the ball away. Um, you know, he is trying to make something happen, and they are in a hole because Powers is holding on, on the previous play. Powers can't play. Uh, get Their best offensive lineman by far is Miners. Uh, Bowles has been uh, alternately well below average and okay through the first couple of games. Cushenberry, I I really can't judge, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't just Payne, but mainly Payne, who made McGlinchey look just silly yesterday. I mean, just run right by him. McGlinchey on a couple of occasions didn't even touch him. I mean, it's just they, they are such a bad team, and the refusal to recognize that for the last seven years in these parts by media, not by fans. Fans, same old, same old. Uh, somebody mentioned that Sean Payton was 17, uh, 72 and 0 when his team is leading by 18 points. Or more at any point in a game, he is now seventy-two and one, and I know it's easy to blame Wilson, and I may even be blaming Wilson more than he deserves. However, I'm with everybody who saying, "Well, wait, wait a minute, why why doesn't the head coach have any responsibility right. for this?" And and see, I think that's a lot of it. And that's where I think the fans where are. some of this is being. I, I look at it and think, we know their offensive line is not very good. The focus is still they want Russell Wilson to stay in the pocket. Wilson has been trying that for the most part. Then he finds himself in a pocket in which he's a short quarterback and now can only see a, a fraction of well, the he field. he got sacked seven times. Right. Yesterday. 
And, and not that's all those ridiculous. are him holding uh, holding no, on to the ball no, too long. No, I'm saying it's ridiculous. It, it is also, I don't think he has been ever sacked in one game seven times. I, one would hope not. but I don't believe. And he's been sacked a lot. Some of this is structural because you have a line that is not good enough to create and hold a pocket. And then you were asking a small quarterback to stay in the pocket. He's too short. And then when, when he's trying to make any sort of throw, now he's stuck with whatever side of the field he can see. So I'm not surprised he doesn't see a Jerry Judy because guess what? People are coming on this side. He has to look to the right side because he can't even see over to the left side because he's trying to stay in the pocket, and now you have to find someone over there. But your point about offensive line, and, and we've stressed this before when we've done this together here, other places when we've been separate, stressed it together, same thing. Quality offensive linemen do not hit unrestricted free agency. <laughs> and the Denver Broncos fall for this over and over again. Keep in over mind, over. the over and over. The top four paid guards, not guards, pardon me, whole offensive linemen in this cycle right. of free agency. Number one, Mike McGlinchey. Yes. Number four, Ben Powers. But it's worse than that because we know the tackles and guards and centers are considered different positions, right? The tackle that got the most money in free agency, Mike McGlinchey. The guard that got the most money in free agency, Ben Powers. Exactly. This is after the Broncos with a completely different general manager, team president, and ownership made the same mistake on Juwan James not all that long ago. Well, let, let me. So feed, I, this feed is you this. this part to me is bizarre because this is a Broncos problem, regardless yeah. of who's occupying any of the seats, and that doesn't even make sense to me. Eleven free agents. I'm not talking about positions here. Eleven free agents. Signed deals worth at least $15 million per year. These are all players. Two of the top 10 are McGlinchey and Zach Allen, who's been pretty good. Not that, Probably not more than that. Pretty good in the first two games. There are eight 2-0 teams where the Broncos should be. Right? Should, two games. Really, so probably should. The Raiders be. and Washington. Yes. Right? Three of them, three of the eight, are Tampa Bay, Washington, and Atlanta. And the Broncos, for the first time ever, and yes, this includes AFL yeah. years, open the season with two home games and find themselves 0 and 2. 0 2. Well, we talked a little Never bit about before. the idea with Wilson or Peyton and where some of the blame lies and what the percentage is. Well, they both talked about some of the play calling and the extent to which it came in. They have different opinions to an extent on what problems are what. We'll hear from each of them next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Broncos have had good first halves in the last two games and some disaster second halves. At one point, uh, the 
Washington Commanders, during a particular run of the game at least, had outscored the Denver Broncos 32-3. to Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's no other way to... That was to, after the Broncos had gone up 21 yeah, to 3. There's no other way to dance around that. That's that's where they were at. And uh, did they uh, get get lucky with the Hail Mary? Yeah, they did. But this team has problems on both sides of the ball, this time with 33 points. Uh, it becomes a little harder to hang things on offense, I suppose, than with 16 the week prior. But there are things that could stand to get better. Russell Wilson had a, a disastrous second half after having a... A very efficient, almost wildly efficient first half. Well, it's almost perfect uh, yeah. in, the, in the passer rating. Right. Uh, 156.2 in the first half. And by the end of the game, he has a lower passer rating than his opposite number, Sam Howell, who threw 30 passes in the first half, and only, only nine. nine in the second. Wilson threw eight passes in the first half and 24 in the second half when they were ahead or at least not behind until fairly late in the second half, right? And they're throwing 24 times. They made no effort really to run the ball. And apparently at halftime looked at the stat sheet and saw Cortland Sutton, I don't think was targeted even once in the first half. Had zero receptions for zero yards. Seven in the first targets half. in the second half. And they to decided to make their offense all about getting the ball to Cortland Sutton, which produced the usual. And he still finished third results. on the team in receiving, at least tied for second in yardage, but didn't have any touchdowns like Brandon Johnson did. After uh, the game, of, of course, there is a lot to discuss. Russell Wilson was asked specifically about the nature of getting in and out of the huddle and, and uh, the, how that needs to continue to improve. Here's what he said. Yeah, I thought we've, I thought we've done a really good job getting in and out of the huddles. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> I thought we had like two or three, you know, plays where we could have been a little bit faster on the first half. We, you know, we called timeout on one of them, but you know, I, you know, we got to be cleaner. We'll be cleaner next time. Well, uh, easy to say, and I'm not saying it's entirely his fault either. Right. But, but we don't know when some of those calls are getting into his ear. In the ointment in the first half was that. In the first corner and a half, they used up their timeouts. Yep. That was the fine, the ointment. And that was miscommunication. It was confusion on someone's part. And I think everybody had a part in it. And the only guy who said, gee, don't look at me, is the head coach. Well, the head so coach had no an responsibility to talk problem. about the uh, the same issues with play calling and, and the speed of the way things were getting into the game. And here's what Sean Payton had to say. Well, it was more than just was one drive. There was a number of drives, you know, where we're late with personnel, getting out of the huddle, we took a while. I mean, that's got to change. We had to burn timeouts in the first half, and I'm not used to doing. We got to be better, and uh, I've got to be better. Russ has got to be sharper with with getting it, getting the play out, and then we got to look at how much we have in. But um, you know, if we need to wristband it, we will. Ouch! I mean that that's the that is the uh, the token. Uh, I also need to be sharper on getting it in, but. Russ needs to be sharper, and if we have to give him a wristband, he will. That is like you talked about a little bit of the, oh, I'll take some responsibility for it, but also not really. <laughs> I'll put it on Russell Wilson. Can I, can I make a point, though, that the head coach can't absolve himself? He's still from. the one making the calls, right? So hard to do so. The Denver Broncos, when they took a 16-10 to 10 lead on opening day against the Raiders in the fourth quarter, Six minutes, six seconds into the fourth quarter. 
Will Lutz, 24-yard field goal. They're up 16-10. to 10. They have better than an 83.5% chance to win the game. This is more than six minutes into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. They lose the game. Yesterday, after Will Lutz kicks the extra point to make it 21-3, to three, six minutes into the second quarter, the Broncos have a 95.7% chance to win the game. You can't, as a head coach, lose two games at home, one in which almost halfway into the fourth quarter, you have a far better than four and five chance of winning the game. Yeah. And the following week, you have an 18-point lead almost halfway into the second quarter. Nine out of ten chance. And almost a 96% chance to Mm -hmm. win the game, and you lose both times. Both. You can't absolve yourself of responsibility in both instances and say it was everybody else but me. But as uh, Mike Sando wrote in his weekly Monday morning column at The Athletic, Sean Payton is not one ever to blame Sean Payton for anything. He won't. And it, it, we we called this during the offseason. We said every time they'll lose. It was my biggest concern about the hiring. He'll blame of the officiating. Or Sean Payton. And or other coaches and or the quarterback. And... Nobody will ask him, how did you get ahead 21 to 3? Didn't speed have a lot to do with it? And the three guys who scored those touchdowns all were benched for virtually all or most of the second half. Now, Johnson did catch the Hail Mary at the end, but he only played 45% of the snaps in the game. And as he said, Mims played less than a quarter of the snaps, and McLaughlin played 5% of the snaps yesterday. Handful of plays. That was it. Scored the first touchdown, caught a pass. I I guess it's illegal to have him carry the ball. Hmm. It's somewhere in the, 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 what is it, There's some zoning restriction? <laughs> around the, the stadium that prevents number 38 from being handed the football. Well, I mean, to, to, you know, kind he's of one for one in speed. touchdown rates. I mean, it seems pretty good there. Unbelievable. It, it, uh, it is unbelievable. But, and, and, and this is a guy living off his reputation, Sean Payton, right now. He's living off his reputation. If I were Russell Wilson, and I understand that I think Russell Wilson obviously has had a uh, he, the age is catching up. I think the the, the nature yes, of that is he really can't get away from the pass rush anymore. Right. I think that the if I were Wilson, I might call Sean Payne's bluff and tell him this week, give me a wristband then. Well, you, you remember the problem, last year? I'll, I'll put the let me put the wristband on then. If you like, think that's the last problem. year, I might, I might call. I, last if year. I were Wilson, I'd consider it. Last year, 
he refused to wear the wristband. You're going to throw me under the bus anyway. I might as well wear it. Let's see what happens. Nathaniel Hackett, as you'll recall, last year wanted him to wear the wristband. He refused. It wasn't until Pete Carroll, and this wasn't the opening week. This was well into the season. Reminded people, well, you know, I tried to get him to wear the wristband too, and he wouldn't do it. Absolutely refused to do it. And it was about either that week or the next week that all of a sudden Russell Wilson showed up with a wristband on. I mean, I'm sure nothing to do with Pete Carroll saying he refused my suggestion to wear the wristband last year in Seattle. So he's wearing the wristband for the rest of the year. And everybody kept telling us around the club how much better he played toward the end of the year. I'm not sure I bought that. Uh, The games were virtual exhibition games, didn't mean anything. Certainly not to the Broncos, who've long since been eliminated. And now, as uh, Sean Payton put it, maybe we'll have to wristband him now. And, I, I, you know, these guys are already. Yeah, they're not off on the right. Off on the wrong foot. Yeah. They're already off. And what's strange, the whole wristband thing is weird. And and that, to me, might be, that's one of those Russell Wilson things where Wilson, he, he kind of gets a little tone deaf. He worries a bit about his brand. And that somehow being wearing a wristband makes, makes him less him of a quarterback, less of a leader. I'm sorry. He has to wear Tom Brady wore one his whole Absolutely. career. Absolutely. Tom Brady. Yep. Seven super seven times Super yep. Bowl champ. Tom That's Brady, right. owner of every passing record that exists, wore a wristband. Wear the wristband. His whole career. It's I, a I, new offense. We understand. If Brady could do it. It's your third offense in three years. Brady never had to do three offenses. And he still wore it the whole time. No, I, I'm saying. he, ne- he, But he didn't have three. My whole point I, is it's I'm, dumb I'm to saying, complain about it. If I was a quarterback, I'm do it. I understand that he's trying to learn a new offense. So no one would begrudge him wearing the wristband. Three offenses, three years. We get it. It's not a sign of weakness to wear the wristband. No. I can't even believe this is a discussion anymore. After Brady finished his career with one, uh, what? I, I mean, now, I, who? what quarterback on earth is going to argue, I, I can't wear a wristband? I, I think I, there were occasional <laughs> conflicts with that, even with a wristband. Uh, just ask Bill O'Brien and Josh McDaniels, who were sure, but- every now and then screamed at by Brady. Uh, during games on the sidelines, but, but, you know, Brady was going to call Stein, and Peyton Manning was the same way. Pey- Peyton Manning would take any play call that came in, and however garbled, sort of jumbled, decide to and do it or not. He'd, if he wanted to do it, he'd recognize what they were trying to say and call the play the way it was supposed to be called, even though the coaches had a laminated sheet and still couldn't get the place in. And this is 2015 this was going mm-hmm. on with, with three coaches <laughs> calling plays, the late Greg Knapp, Gary Kubiak, and Rick Dennison. And it confused the hell out of Brock Osweiler, wristband or no wristband. He didn't like it. Uh, he could adjust, but it would take him a while. It would get on his nerves. Manning, it didn't matter. Brady had the wristband there, but... Certainly by his first year in Tampa, 
after 12 games, which they went 7-5, and five, they were running whatever Tom Brady wanted to run. And even Bruce Arians acknowledged that that was going on. That we, it, Brady's way of saying, we tried it your way for 12 games. Now we're running my offense. And they didn't lose another game all the way through the Super Bowl. And it, 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 it's silly that we're talking about nonsense like this. Yeah. But you know what's even sillier? And everybody picked up on it. It took Peyton two games, yes, two losing games, to all but throw Wilson under the bus. Yep. Two. Two games. In and which, they haven't even played on the road in yet. In which, by the way, the Broncos have lost those by a total of three points. And they are playing, arguably, the best team in football. If it's not San Francisco, it's certainly the Miami Dolphins after two weeks. They, they look unbeatable. They just toyed with the Patriots last night. They just toyed with them. They could have beaten them by 20, 25 if they had wanted to. Uh, they played the percentages. They got a little cautious. And, you know, New England's still a competitive team with Bill Belichick as the head coach. But, and, and San Francisco yeah, had the same trouble with the Rams in Los Angeles and took a game they should have won by two or three touchdowns and made it a seven-point game and disappointed some of the betters who had bet on them. Well, it's been a uh, lousy weekend for Denver Broncos fans, but and an exciting weekend for Buffalo's fans, and kind of an exciting weekend for Rams fans. What does it all mean? Well, you know, you don't want to overreact necessarily. We'll get our checkup from the neck up about all this with Dr. Rick Perea. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. Is everybody crying? 